0: Welcome to Embedded Edge with Nitin, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, editor-in-chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad.
1: Hello. Welcome to the latest episode of Embedded Edge with Nitin. We just returned from the 59th Design Automation Conference in San Francisco. Very much a return to normal live in-person events. Conference keynotes were given by Mark Papermaster of AMD, Anirudh Devgan of Cadence, and Steve Teague of Perceive. The focus respectively was on advancing EDA through the power of AI and high-performance computing, Computational software and the future of intelligent electronic system design, and machine learning for real why principles, efficiency, and ubiquity matter. Papermaster set the scene, and something we've become accustomed to hearing about the challenges posed by die size limitations, power and performance, transistor efficiency, and cost and productivity. All require design as well as design automation. He chose to focus on the need for more ecosystem partnerships and collaboration to push beyond the limitations posed by these challenges. In his words, he said, we must collaborate as an industry. We have to have a shared vision of the problems we have to solve, and we need a common view of the challenges. He went on to talk about the use of high-performance computing, or HPC, needed to generate next-generation devices and how design technology co-optimization, or DTCO, is the only way we're going to realize the complexity of new process nodes. Chiplets, he noted, will play an increasingly important role in in enabling the next generation of devices. The conference featured a show floor too, and here we took the opportunity to catch up with the major EDA companies, as well as a number of companies involved in enabling design and design automation, from design to verification, IP building blocks, including connectivity, eFPGA, and of course security. This is the first of two episodes from DAC 2022. In this episode, I spoke to Siemens EDA, Synopsys, Cadence, Brecker, and eFabless. In the second episode, you'll hear from PQ Shield, Flexlogix, Proteantex, Arteris, Mentor, and AlphaWave. So let's get this episode started with two interviews with Siemens EDA. I'm here with Ravi Subramaniam, the uh, senior vice president of Siemens EDA. Hi, Ravi. Hello, Nathan. Glad to be here. So, what's your focus here at DAC? First and foremost,
2: we're back. We're back in person. And uh, it's really great to see the EDA community, that is a community of software developers, our customers who are either systems or semiconductor companies developing next-generation chips from automotive to data center to IoT uh, to even pharma chips.
1: So, interesting. Um, We talked a little bit earlier, and you talked about tectonic shifts in the industry. Just highlight some of those, please.
2: Sure. There are three tectonic shifts um, really to take note. First and foremost is... You know, we're coming on what people say is the end of Moore's Law, but Moore's Law continues not to end. And we're also seeing now we're in the first decade of what we call more than more. And in this first decade, we're also seeing that 3DIC has come to bear. What this means is the scale of system complexity that can be captured within a package is astounding today. and. That tectonic shift means the possibilities of how much system complexity can be captured within traditional integrated circuit technology is growing leaps and bounds. um, A second tectonic shift has to do with the fact that more and more systems companies are doing more electronics and semiconductor R&D This means we are going to see the growth of the EDA business be really driven by much more than classical semiconductor companies, but overall technology spending on electronics and semiconductor. And finally, the third is that AI and software are enabling customers to create huge value in their businesses. What that means is the product platforms that customers are building now are very centered on software-driven value and enabling AI to get faster insights. That's changing the nature of what chips customers are building and how they're connecting these chips with other parts of the system.
1: Now, one of the things I think uh, with the Siemens acquisition of Mentor, and and I think you you showed me how the transition of uh, factory automation has evolved into simulation environments and then the digital twin, and that digital twin leads to the metaverse. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, um, providing that door to various sort of digital twin environments? Sure. Today, the way the digital twin has evolved
2: is to really create a virtual model of a, a object in the physical world whether it's a propeller, or a jet foil, or a food and beverage container, or a component in a car. That technology that's enabled the creation of the virtual world is now enabling the creation of a virtual world where it's going beyond the component to the environment the component sits in. And the first stage of that has been creating what is called a digital twin, which is a representation, not just of the product, but the environment and the system in which that product sits. And that enables the creation of, for example, a digital twin of a factory, which is how Siemens pioneered the idea of the digital twin. You can have a digital twin of a complete manufacturing facility before it is even built. You can understand how components selected To create that factory will perform as the factory is operating. You can even have software that's running on industrial PCs in that factory showing how the factory will perform. That has been critical in enabling training of people to new factories. So it's becoming the door to getting educated into a new environment and ultimately what is the new universe opened by new technology in that environment. So you can think of digital twins as a doorway to the metaverse, and you can also think of every industry will evolve its own metaverse, and hence that evolution of digital twin to metaverse.
1: That's fascinating, and I think that was part of the recent announcement with NVIDIA.
2: Indeed. So Siemens and NVIDIA made a joint announcement uh, last week about the bringing together... Of two worlds and that is the world of the digital twin which Siemens has pioneered and then the world of photorealistic 3D rendering of the digital twin to create a truly realistic picture of the environment in the metaverse so much so that with the digital twin created by Siemens and the metaverse enhanced through 3D photorealism through NVIDIA's chip technologies and semiconductor innovation we're able to create an environment which is so real that it almost is another world, but also the world in which people can be trained on new equipment. People can learn about how new suppliers can, produce, can, can uh, deliver equipment into their markets. And people can actually train people in remote areas uh, to develop new capabilities. And ultimately, while it is another world, it is going to make our world
1: much, much smaller. Yes, and I did see that at NVIDIA last week when I visited them. They showed me some really amazing things. Ravi, thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Nitin. It's a pleasure. I'm with Sumit Vishwakarma, product manager with a Siemens EDA. Sumit, hello. Hello, Nitin. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so you had a big launch at DAC, Symphony Pro. What's that all about and why did you need it?
0: Absolutely, Nathan. Uh, Symphony Pro is the advanced tier of Symphony, a mixed signal product from Siemens EDA. And we launched Symphony four years back in 2018. And since then, we realized that uh, the whole mixed signal verification is evolving. And to address these new challenges uh, in the verification methodologies for mixed signal, uh, we realized that we need to come up with a new engine, and hence uh, Symphony Pro was launched to cater those uh, new uh, address those challenges.
1: Now that comes up with a few, yes, a few things, like real number modeling and uh, power awareness and things like that. Can you just tell us a little bit about where, what, what that does to help with that mixed signal verification? Absolutely.
0: So as you know that, uh, you know, the designs are evolving, especially on the mixed signal sites, and uh, there's more analog contents coming up in the SOCs. And for that reason, what is happening is if you try to simulate everything in analog, it's going to be very slow simulation. So for that, the methodologies are evolving and real numbers are used to replace the analog blocks. And for that to happen, there needs to be a proper methodology which should be used for verifying these real number models, and uh, there is uh, Accelera initiative for bringing standards in the models, such as uh, user-defined net types uh, uh, standards. So there is definitely need for simulators to support these new standards. Uh, so that's definitely one thing. The second area where we definitely felt the need is uh, in mixed signal debugging is very critical, and most of the the mixed signal bugs happen at the A2D boundaries and they are hidden deep in the hierarchy. So we definitely felt that uh, engineers spent, uh, you know, significant of time in debugging these bugs, uh, which are very cumbersome and time-consuming. So we wanted to address that, uh, and hence uh, we, we came up with a very innovative debug solution, Symfony Pro. How companies using this? Yes, absolutely. So, what we have seen is, specifically in uh, system-level companies, uh, the, the, the the companies which are doing SOCs, right, uh, over there, their whole, uh, uh, most of their verification methodology is digital-based, right, and the moment when the DUT is no longer just a pure digital chip and it's so a device, the, under this device under test, yes, and when it becomes a mixed signal chip, you can no longer use the same verification infrastructure, right, and so you need to to come up uh, with uh, you know different methodologies to to model analog contents in your chip so that you can reuse uh, the same infrastructure and and for that reason we have seen a request coming in from our customers that you know our simulators should be able to support uh, these new standards which they are trying to deploy in their flows
1: and you've announced some customers who are already using
0: this now. Absolutely. So um, we are very happy that some of our, our key customers, such as ST Microelectronics, uh, has been uh, using Symphony Pro, and uh, they have seen a significant value, specifically uh, in their advanced configurations, such as uh, you know multi-layer designs, uh, where they have analog instantiating digital, and so on and so forth. Uh, and the other customer is uh, Silicon Labs. Uh, this is a company I. Would Company based in Austin, in Texas, and uh, they have also seen uh, great productivity improvement uh, with Symphony Pro, um, and uh, we are very happy uh, that uh, you know both
1: uh, our customers have endorsed us. And Smith, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nathan for your time. I'm now with Sandeep Mendera, uh, VP of Cloud at Synopsis. Sandeep, hello. Hello, Nathan. So you did a tech talk here today, so tell me uh, what were the sort of key things, uh, takeaways that uh, people who attended would have got from that.
3: The tech talk was titled, It's Cloudy Out There, and it was sharing the experiences and learnings we at Synopsys have had over the last 18 months or so, developing a cloud solution, why people are moving to cloud, what's preventing them you move to cloud and what's enabling them and how Synopsys is accelerating that transition of doing chip design on public cloud. Uh, So what are
1: the key macro trends I think you identified?
3: The key macro trends we talked about today in the talk were around how software is driving differentiation in technology today, how chips are enabling that transition. So as an example, if you have If you look at various applications with the AI ML technologies, whether they be around enabling self-driving cars or how research is done in pharmaceuticals and vaccines, or even advanced gaming using AI techniques, the software is AI and ML based, powered by purpose-built AI microprocessors, that have low latency and high speed, delivering the necessary performance to realize those applications. Uh,
1: recently, you obviously announced the cloud uh, EDA pay-as-you-go EDA service, but uh, I think you made an announcement here about something around uh, various sort of targeting instances. Tell me a little about about that.
3: Sure, good uh, good uh, question, Nitin. About end of March, we announced uh, the industry's first software as a service solution for chip design in a partnership with uh, Microsoft, and that was our SaaS foray. Today, we rolled out the next evolution of that with the concept of instances, and we announced three instances built around customer personas, an analog instance for analog designers, a digital instance for digital designers, and verification instance for verification engineers. And what we've done with these instances is brought together curated flows, end-to-end flows for analog design through schematic, verification, layout, physical sign-off, and similarly for digital and verification where we have stitched together the tools, typically what a CAD team would do for their design teams. We have optimized these flows through pre-available pre-qualified compute and enabled them in a SaaS environment accessible through a browser for small companies to come in, get started on doing design, go from a concept to prototype in a matter of uh, hours versus days, weeks, or months.
1: And why did you do that? Did you see that customers were looking for that or was it something you planned all along?
3: We think that cloud provides a platform to democratize design. And we did this looking at customer demand because as customers are moving to cloud, setting up complex EDA flows is a heavy undertaking from a resource and time point of view. So we saw this opportunity looking at customer feedback and what we have done is these jumpstart flows or instances as we call them, give customers the ability to get started quickly and build on as their expertise and design knowledge develops.
1: Okay, one last question. Uh, So you launched in
3: March. What are your key learnings so far? So few key learnings. One, cloud's not a lift and shift model. Customers need help in migrating their current flows to cloud. Part of our instance rollout is from that learning. Second is, how do you make it easier for customers to buy, use, and deploy cloud is an area we are focusing on because uh, it's, it's important for customers to be able to access, experiment, and then deploy in production. So ease of adoption is a key learning that we are focusing on. Sandeep, thank you very much. Nathan, thank you very much. I'm now here with Dave Kelf, CEO of Breca Verification Systems.
4: Dave, hello. Hi Nathan, good to be here. Tell me a little bit about Brecker. Certainly. So so Brecker is in the business of test suite synthesis. We generate test content for various environments, including UVM block-based simulation, SOC environments, uh, post-silicon environments for semiconductors, of course. And within the SOC environment, we have a number of applications uh, which are like pre-cast scenario tests for things like cache coherency, uh, security testing, that kind of thing. And in the UVM space, uh, we generate block-based tests that fit within a UVM test bench, Existing UVM test bench, um, and what we do is uh, is generate sequence sets and the virtual environments on top of that.
1: And you work with all the processors, so Intel, ARM, uh, RISC-V. Tell me a little bit about the, what you're doing with all of those and the, some of the trends.
4: Yeah, certainly. So um, yeah, it's interesting. When you mentioned the trends, of course, RISC-V is becoming much more important these days, and we've seen a big increase in in interest and in usage of that. You know, ARM is is the solid, stable uh, environment, and then Intel, of course, it's you know for server environments what have you. Okay. <laughs> I would say that yeah, we work with all three of these environments, uh, and what we're doing is providing at the SoC level various test environments that that provides tests for SoCs that use all these processes. So, for example, in cache coherency, as we see more advanced processes that use multi-level cache environments, uh, uh, coherent fabrics, uh, coherent I/O, and so on, you know, it's important to provide a test environment that thoroughly rings out, you know, these complex SoCs. So, so we provide you know precasts. Um, IP ver- uh, verification, IP type tests for this, and we're working with a number of different companies using all of those processes. And it's a very effective way to do a thorough coherency test of these SOCs before they go to fabrication, and actually post fabrication as well.
1: And you've grown quite significantly in the, significantly in the
4: last three years. You told me that's right. So, so the company, you know, it's been running now for for a number of years. Started as a services company, built this test suite uh, synthesis technology uh, together with some operating system te- uh, technology underneath, and in the last three years, we've really seen our business uh, take off. You know, coming uh, out of the pandemic now, uh, a lot of companies are actually sort of building more advanced SOCs. As we mentioned, uh, you know, the advent of Risk Five and now Risk Five really becoming uh, more commercially viable, and some of these other sort of technologies uh, coming to the forefront have really sort of propelled that business in a big way.
1: Uh, this week, you announced uh, at DAC um, a relationship with Codasip, and this is not just a one-off. You've done an, uh, announcements with Imperius and. Uh, joined Risk 5 International what's it all uh,
4: uh, what's it all about So, yes, what is it all about? You know, RISC-V is an interesting technology, as we know. Uh, It's been being worked on for uh, quite a few years now, and we're seeing it at the point where, you know, the RISC-V instruction set is being used for more and more advanced processes, so it's entering the application processor world. To do that, uh, the kind of verification that needs to be applied to those processes uh, has to be really be commercial grade. Uh, You can't get away with, uh, you know, just straightforward IP block verification. There's a lot of capability that needs to be wrung out uh, inside these different processes. We know that Arm for many years has invested many millions of dollars per year uh, in their verification environments, and it's going to be important for RISC-V to be successful for them to do the same thing, for these companies to do that. To make that happen, and to make sure that different vendors can all provide RISC-V processes that that, uh, all work together and and, uh, are compatible, special organizations and flows and metrics are going to have to be created, I think, which provides that kind of commercial grade verification that uh, that's required so codasip fascinating company doing a really good job in this space I believe and they're very very focused on really solid rigorous verification and the quality of their processes and as they step up and produce more and more powerful processes you know they're they're looking at ways that they can get that arm level kind of quality uh, in their devices um, so they're you know collaborating with different companies and the announcement we made with them is a collaboration on this SOC integration verification, areas such as cache coherency, security, and, and other items, uh, which match the apps that, that we just mentioned. You know, this is something that we're working with Codasip on how to sort of build this out and, and really make this powerful, not just for Codasip's v uh, IP, but potentially, you know, in the, generally across the industry. And similar, we did an announcement with Paris We're working with them on some of their interfaces and other technologies, and we joined RISC-V International itself as well.
1: What do you see as the future in terms of what you're doing? with that? Is that going to inform some some
4: other sort of ways of working with RISC-V and verification? Yes, a great question. And, you know, it's early days, yeah. Right now, it's a collaboration between the different companies. But, yeah, potentially we could see an organization form which really focuses on this commercial grade level uh, verification and opens or provides to the industry at large either metrics or methodologies or mechanisms to really allow these different RISC-V processor developments to be, you know, to be um, verified at a level that uh, are acceptable to the kind of large organizations that really want to make use of them for, you know, full application processes, you know, similar to what they use ARM for today.
1: Well, Dave, thank you very much.
4: Yeah, thank you, Nitin. It's been good to meet you.
1: I'm now with Frank Schermeister, uh, Group Director for Solutions and Ecosystems at Cadence. Frank, hello. Thanks for having me. Nice meeting you. What are the key trends uh, that are driving some of the things you're showing here at DAC?
5: So I think the overarching trend if you start from a consumer perspective is really what we would refer to as the hyperconnectivity connectivity from the sensors that touch us in day-to-day life and touch the industry, uh, the industrial domain, the automotive domain, through what we refer to as edge computing through the networks. We are at 5G today. We talk about 6G going forward into the data center where you have all the compute happening um, to create insights and there's big balancing right now going on where which compute is happening is it what's happening in the data center what's happening at the various edges so that's really the overarching driver and um, that hyper connectivity then can be seen in Items we show here at DAC, like we gave an automotive um, overview where um, your car data, terabytes of data created in very short amount of times is transmitted allies creating insights about things like Um, usage of uh, parts in your car that's all computed in the data center and transmitted through networks um, not even counting taking into account things like autonomy for cars in there so those are the overarching trends driving a lot of our products and then from here as cadence and as eda in general but cadence specifically will provide to you capabilities around the building blocks for the semiconductors, that's our IP domain, the verification, that's where you have our dynamic duo of uh, emulation and prototyping, where you have AI-enabled verification with Excellium ML to make sure that things are functionally correct, that they are safe, that they are secure. Through AI-enabled digital implementation, that's where our Cerebros technology comes in, to optimize PPA, performance, power and area, for large digital implementations through custom implementation, where you have all the RF, the analog mixed signal simulation, and then extending into the system domain, where it's all about electromagnetic um, electromagnetic analysis, thermal analysis, extending into computational fluid dynamics. those consumer requirements making our world so hyper-connected and much more comfortable for us, so to speak, um, are driving a lot of the requirements. And then you need to take into account things like sustainability. That was a big topic here at Cadence uh, at Cadence and at DAC, talking about how we can optimize power. We had panels here on discussing sustainability optimizing carbon emissions and automotive and data centers and everything from a low-power perspective. So, yeah, very exciting trends coming from the hyperconnected world all the way down into the EDA design tools. Well, Frank, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm now with Mohamed Kassam, uh,
1: co-founder and CTO of eFabless Corporation. Mohamed, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. We've just uh, participated in a panel at DAC on democratization of uh, silicon. Uh, Tell us a little little bit about uh, what you think
6: that means and and, uh, where this fits with what you're doing. So I like to use the the, the the one of the examples I use for democratization is the the travel industry. So before the invention or the presence of a seven forty seven jumbo uh, carrier, the price per seat was too expensive for the average family to travel. When that happened, all of a sudden the price per seat went down, allowed so many more people to be able to do that. And that's exactly what we do for the chips. We create. Uh, we create a, a platform that the, that cre- makes the cost per chip goes down, and also provide the knowledge, the attached knowledge to to enable the designer to do what they need to do to, comp- to be in that chip.
1: Okay, so like, let's just take us
6: through a customer journey with how they work with eFabless. So, actually, so one of the offer, one of the thing, way to simplify building a chip is that we build most of the chip. Uh, most of the chip that usually requires knowledge out in multiple domains, to be able to build the chip with the pad frame and the packaging and the ESD. And most people that we found is that if we build this in a chip, it has a square area of 10 millimeters squared, that's an example just, and then provide resources on the chip like power management and interfaces, but leave an area and say, okay, you put my chip here, my block here. my uh, so. We give them that as a starting point. So, you do, so the knowledge required to be able to do your own chip, just it gets uh, minimized. minimized. So that's one. The second part is that when when the because we standardize it, I can actually give you a board because I know the standard board and the standard input and output of the IOs of the chip and even comes with the standard softwares. When I do that, I can actually take it level to. Um, younger generations, not only that, not only the uh, the you know engineers. On typical customer, let's call it a startup, for example, they come in and they say, I mean, I'm gonna use your product, which is a chip Ignite with the, that chip platform, and then I will put my uh, differentiating or technology inside that white area, and then within four months, I have chips that I can actually use as a minimum viable product. So that is one. On the other hand, the, from an education perspective, the universities have been one of the biggest uh, customers in general they, for courses. They want to actually have practical experience of the, uh, for the students to learn how to design something and put it in a chip and test it and, and pre-check and close that loop altogether.
1: And how are you making this little design area easy for them to design components, uh, is it
6: uh, making it, how, how are you enabling that? So the design area, it, it can be treated as like a socket. So the interface is fixed and they know what it is. They can actually apply power their own power supplies, one or two, they apply clocking, they can make it analog IOs or digital IOs, but they can treat that box as a, as a socket, but you don't have to worry about their, the things that are done to make it outside the chip because the ASD and IOs and all this this is just an environment to have my the, the internal IP or internal box or CPU to access the world so they have to put IO buffers ASD in a package so they just don't have to focus on any of that they just drive you know a design for um, their own design some of the people did their own accelerators some of them are own new CPUs uh, RISC-V and some did uh, like open power uh, uh, CPUs on in the in the empty area
1: so are they using your platform to design that little bit uh, themselves using components from you?
6: So the, the, the our platform actually extends it's kind of a hybrid between uh, cloud based all the way to uh, the open open source uh, EDA. So we have a, a version of our platform completely set up that you can download and work offline to develop whatever you need analog or digital. And they use that. And then we have we provide them also with so-called pre-checkers that will give them on-the-spot feedback to improve or detect any issues in such a way that by the time they're done, it's ready to go to the fab.
1: Mohammed, thank you very much. You're welcome. So that brings us to the end of the first episode from the 59th Design Automation Conference. Check out episode two from DAC when I talk to PQ Shield, FlexLogix, Proteontex, Arteris, Mentor, and AlphaWave. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.